Well, we're studying the book of Philippians. I see some new faces. Welcome back or, or welcome. Uh, there's a set of notes after today they cost, so there they are. So hope you got a set. Uh, I said we ran out last week. We had 94 last week. That was dynamite. And I think we got a good turnout today. But uh, um, thank you for carving time out of your busy schedules. Speaking of schedules, do take note. If you've not registered Friday, October the 25th, uh, we have Chisholm in this very room. Uh, he and his wife uh, was corresponding with him this week, and he said, I'm just so looking forward to being there uh, and sharing this time with everyone. And uh, Chisholm is just a powerful speaker, uh, a prolific author. And uh, if you have anyone struggling in the faith, this is a great, I think it would be a great event to bring them to. Uh, it, it will be a little more academic bent, but Bob is, a, as I said, a very good communicator, and he will be engaging. I can promise you that. If you've not registered, do so. We don't have a whole lot of slots left. Uh, and also remember that next week we will not meet. Uh, so mark your calendars. There is no men's Bible study next week, and then we'll resume on the 17th. So no men's Bible study on the 10th. If you come here on the 10th, you'll find that you're the only one in the parking lot. Um, but uh, So mark your calendars accordingly. <clears throat> it's due to fall break, etc. So, well, let's dive into the text. If you would, Philippians chapter 1, we're just going to start in the latter part of verse 18, is where we left off. Paul is, uh, he's already moved through the greeting, the opening, the thanksgiving, and he's, he's now talked about what his present state is, and now he's moving into his kind of future state. And we see this in verse 18, part uh, latter part. It says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ. Interesting, he'll refer to Christ five times in this little passage, so watch this. And he'll refer to himself ten times. He'll use the first person uh, pronoun. So watch what's going on here. My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ. Uh, I'm reading out of the Net Bible. Some of you have asked, what English version are you using? Uh, it's the Net Bible. Um, there's other good versions out there. I do like how they rendered this. Living is Christ. In other words, it's all about Him. It's not for Christ, it is Christ. And dying is gain. Now, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me. Yet, I don't know which I prefer. I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. And since I am sure of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith. So that, here's the reason, that you can be proud of, of the increase because of me and Christ Jesus when I come back to you. Earlier on, Paul mentions, and if you go back to chapter, the earlier part of chapter 1, in verse 9, what does he say uh, he's praying for? What's he recognizing here? What do we see? That your love may abound in what? Knowledge, right? So here you have knowledge. I'm going somewhere with this. Knowledge and insight, right? And he says that your love may abound in this. 
So what you're dealing with here is the affective domain, right? And this is the cognitive. They go hand in hand because what is he, he's, what's he say in verse 10? So that you may decide what is best, right? So that, in other words, so that you can be holy. I'm going somewhere. Follow with me for a second. And in all of this, he says, we seek joy, right? Notice what the, he says, filled <clears throat> uh, so that you can decide what is best, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, the praise of, and glory of God. So this desire is, knowledge plays a key role, the cognitive. And he comes back to this in this section. Twice he will state, this is what I know. What, where do you see this in the text? In verses 18 through 26, what does he say? Twice he says, I know. Where, where is this? Verse 19, right? What's he say? I know this will turn out for my deliverance. And the, and the latter part of this section is in verse 25. I know that I will remain. Two things he knows. There's one thing he doesn't know in the middle of it. Do you see it? He says in verse 22, and I don't know which I prefer. So let's unpack this because this is key in this whole bit of the reason he's desiring to, that we grow in knowledge is the Philippian believers and in love is so we can be holy. And that's what's driving his knowledge here in this section. I want you to see that as we, we go along. This section is very powerful. And for the church in the West, it, it, th these are hard words to hear. I mean, f let's face it, you know, our desire is to live long and prosper, right? That is not Paul's mantra. That is not his motto. In fact, to die for him is gain. Well, what do you do with that sucker, right? What? So let's unpack this and based on what he knows and what he doesn't know. And let's first start with the two things that he does know. He rejoices in his deliverance. And the reason for this, this is in the middle of your notes there on page one, is that the reasons why Paul is rejoicing is found in 18 through 20. There are a couple reasons for this joy. Uh, the first of these we're going to see uh, here in the notes uh, is, that in, is that in his deliverance, uh, he says, I can find joy in my deliverance through the prayer of the saints. Let's, let's look at this, the joy found in his deliverance. The first question is, what's the deliverance, right? What's he referring to? A lot of scholars say, ah, he's referring to his eternal abode, deliverance from this world, and that's what he's rejoicing in. He's looking at the end game. And I will admit that term is usually used by Paul to refer to his eternal state, but I don't think he's referring to his eternal state. I think he's referring to his deliverance out of prison. Uh, let me give you some reasons for this. This is there in your notes. Um, <clears throat> first of all, Martin in his commentary highlights that the term deliverance can also mean vindication. And he argues, in this case, Paul hopes that his trust in God will be honored and his witness to divine faithfulness will be attested by the turn of events. That is, that he's acquitted, that he's released from prison. Remember, Paul is in prison. Uh, secondly, Paul refers to Job 13 in this passage and Job, if you remember, is look, when he's, uh, he's looking for vindication 
on this side of eternity in his discussion with his friends. And that seems to support it. But I think the clincher is found in chapter 2. Turn to chapter 2 of Philippians 2.24. Well, even start in verse 23. So I hope to send him, as soon as I know more about my situation, the him is Epaphroditus. Then he says in verse 24, though I am confident in the Lord, I too will be coming to see you soon. Coming to see you. Not that I'll see you in, in glory, I'm coming to see you at Philippi. So that, to me, the context of the deliverance here that we see is, the, is that he is going to be released from prison. And that the reason that can be accomplished are twofold. The first of these, as I just stated, was through the prayer of the saints. Notice he says, through your prayers in verse 19, right? The... Hawthorne makes this comment. This is the bottom of your notes. It's, it's so powerful. He says, Whenever Paul asked the church to pray for him, it is that he might be delivered from disobedience and even men, that he might be released from prison and brought safely again to his friends, that he might remain true to God in the face of opposition, and that his ministry might be effective. If you want a great study, spend some time looking at Paul's prayers uh, you won't be the first who, d- who does that. Um, in fact, there's a wonderful work by D.A. Carson called uh, A Call to Spiritual Reformation, Priorities from Paul and His Prayers. This book is fantastic. Uh, it's written by Carson. If you want to see it, I got it up here, and I'm going to refer to it later. But <clears throat> Paul values the importance of prayer from the saints, and he's arguing that's one of the way- reasons I'll be delivered. This is why I know this is going to happen. I have confidence in that. And the second is via the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. Through the help of the Spirit, which is the subject here, the Spirit is going to assist, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. How is the Holy Spirit going to assist here? Help me out. How does the Holy Spirit guide? Yeah, the Spirit intercedes. Yep, what else? He goes before Paul. What else? He's a comforter. Luke 12, if you want to, you can flip there if you want, but Luke 12, 12 says, for the Spirit will teach you at that moment what you must say. So he's an instructor. And he, and I, I would argue he, well, obviously he plays a role in Paul's deliverance. So, Paul's joy is found uh, in rejoicing because, number one, he says, I'm going to be delivered. That I know. Secondly, not only in it, the joy is found in his deliverance, but it's found in his willingness to be bold for Christ. Notice what he says here. Again, remember, this is the cognitive. Says, I know this will turn out for my deliverance. Why? We just highlighted that. And secondly, he says, my confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed but will complete with complete boldness, even now, as always, Christ will be exalted. Now, it sounds a little arrogant at first, doesn't it? Maybe it's just me. But notice what we're dealing with here, and I I mentioned this there in your notes, is my hope-filled, eager expectation. Where is Paul's boldness rooted in? His skills? 
is in faith in God, right? It's Christ-centered. He says, this is where I find my boldness. And so the reasons why I can rejoice, even though I'm in prison, is number one, I know I'm going to be delivered. And for that, I find joy. Secondly, it gives me an opportunity to be bold in Christ. Uh, allows me, and remember <clears throat> earlier what he said, that he's so thankful, remember this in verse 12, that I'm in prison because it's turning out for the advancement of the gospel. Remember that? He said, others are becoming bold, and it's helping me in my boldness as well, that I can do this. O'Brien states, Paul is simply the instrument by which the greatness of Christ shines out. It's so clear in the Greek because Paul puts Christ first in that whole statement. He elevates Christ. He says, this is what it's about. And for that, I, 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 this is awesome. In the midst of the adversity, I get to praise the Lord. And I am so grateful. Uh, Greg said he was at the great banquet and he got to share his testimony. And uh, I'm sure if we had him share it now, it'd be, it's what Christ has done. Right? And that's what Paul's saying. This is fantastic. And so he gives us these reasons why uh, he is rejoicing in the midst of this. He's not a masochist. But he understands it's about Christ. This is what's driving him. And this leads him then to this next section here and the reason why he serves. And he gives us his mission statement. I don't know if you have a mission statement. Uh, I remember years ago, Howard Hendricks challenged us as students. He said, you need to write a, a mission statement. 18 to 22 words. I can still hear him say it. Uh, and refine that sucker. In fact, the last page of your notes, uh, I've given you a challenge to do on your own. If you don't have a mission statement, write one. If you do have one, tweak it this week, uh, you know, and especially in light of Paul's. But Paul lays out in these next two verses, if you want to say, what is Pauline theology? It boils down to these two verses. And this is it. You want to understand Paul and the 13 letters in the New Testament? This is it. Notice what he says. That whether I live or die, it's Christ. Verse 21, for me to live, well, or for to me, living is Christ. In fact, the me there is emphatic. For me, it's Christ. That's what it's about. And to die, ah, it's absolute gain. Now, what in the world is he talking about, right? Uh, um, this chart, let me just walk through this chart that I've given you. I've tried to lay out these verses. His passion to glorify Christ is seen not only in life, but it's also seen in his death. What do we mean by this? Well, he gives us, uh, I've given three points here. Life for Paul means Christ. We see that. It's an opportunity for him to exalt Christ. Secondly, life grants an opportunity for more productive work. He highlights this, doesn't he? He says in verse 22, if I'm here living in the body, I, I can do more to serve Christ. And for that, I'm thankful. And then he says the life allows Paul to be with the Philippian believers, which is clear, clear and I've this one on the notes or on the PowerPoint, but in your notes, it's there. In other words, life is more advantageous for my service to the Philippians. And so uh, we'll see his conclusion here in a minute. Death, on the other hand, means fellowship with Christ. That's why he's saying it's, it's gain, right? <clears throat> Death affords the opportunity to exalt Christ in heaven, to be with him for all eternity. Death, he, he highlights, grants rest from the work, 
It allows Paul to be with Christ. We see this in verse 23. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. And death is more thus advantageous for Paul. So if you're weighing these, for Paul, he says, yeah, this would be the, my, my option A, is to die and to be with Christ. Now, uh, that's an interesting statement. We'll get to that in a minute. But he says, however, because of my love for you and what I know, my love for you, it's my desire to be here so that I can serve you. Now that is amazing on several fronts. And let me give you some reasons why. The summaries that I give you on the top of page three, this is, this is worth its weight in gold. This is, if you don't get anything else today, notice what Paul is saying here. Number one, he's saying Christ is the end all, right? O'Brien states that Christ for Paul is the object, the motive, the inspiration, and the goal of all that he does. Is that your passion? That's what Paul's saying. It's about Christ. I think of John the Baptist. He says the same thing in John 3. He, Christ, must increase, I must decrease. It's not about me. That's what Paul's saying. It's not about me. Uh, he's been in prison for five years. <laughs> he's been in a shipwreck. He's been, you know, the whole series. He says, ah, it's not about me. All right? Uh, sense of entitlement has shackled our culture, I think. Uh, there's no sense of entitlement in the Lord's work. It's all His, right? So just blow that thing in the backyard and bury it. Uh, Christ is the end all. Second, Paul does not desire, catch this. This is not a suicide wish. Paul's not desiring death for his own end game, right? He's not desiring, it's just, I can't handle the pressures of life. You know, I haven't been able to wash my hair for three days here in prison. I I'm done. I'm ready to go, or whatever the issue is. Uh, no, the reason he's desiring to death is so that he can be with the Lord for all eternity. That's a vastly different mindset, right? Um, um, yes. Okay, you are awake. More coffee. Uh, third, Paul is guided, and this is key here, he's guided by his love for others. And again, it's rooted in the knowledge of what he knows. The cognitive and the effective are working hand in hand here. And then finally, Paul is obedient to wherever the Lord places him. And that's the whole point. He says, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be with Christ, but Christ hasn't taken me home. And it also appears that, that I am not going to be beheaded this time around. Uh, and my case will be acquitted. So that means, yeah, I, I'm to be here. I'm, I'm, to, I'm to serve. You know, I, I need to be faithful to where the Lord has placed me. And so this is where it's what's driving Paul, and it's why he can say, hey, living is Christ and dying is gain. But this is, if you weigh this all out, yeah, I'd love, I'd love to be with Christ, but he's placed me here so that I can serve you. Questions on this? Comments? Yeah. Extremely bold. And remember... Read 2 Corinthians. Uh, you get a whole different side of Paul. You know, yeah, he's a type A personality. There's no doubt about it. But you read 2 Corinthians. Uh, he struggled. He, you know, th this isn't Superman here. Uh, he's not perfect. And remember, he's also a murderer <laughs> who's been saved by grace. So he knows. He knows the dark side. He lived it. <laughs> 
Very antagonistic to the gospel at one point. In fact, that leads us to this next point that he says in verse 25. He says, hey, what I know is I'm sure of this. I will remain and continue with you. The Lord has made the decision, not Paul. And that goes all the way back to Acts chapter 9. Turn to Acts 9. Look at this. Acts 9, uh, verses 15 and 16. Remember this whole scene? Uh, Paul meets Christ on the Damascus road. And he's blinded. And Ananias, the Lord appears to him and says, you need to go see Saul of Tarsus. He's going to be Paul and all this. And of course, Ananias says, are you kidding? In verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, because this man, Paul, watch this, is my chosen instrument or utensil, to carry out my name before the Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This isn't some epiphany that all of a sudden Paul has found as he's been imprisoned in Rome. He's known all along that he's, he's been a, called as an apostle to, to, primarily to the Gentiles and that he's going to suffer greatly. So this isn't something new. <laughs> he just figured it out. No, and he's saying, listen, this is where the Lord has placed me, going back to Philippians 1.25, and, and, and as a result, um, I know that I will remain and continue with you. Two reasons he gives for why he needs to continue, right? The purpose for the living is to assist them in their progress in the faith. Did you catch that? What does he say? So you continue in your progress and joy, I love that, in the faith. So he says, remember, it's advantageous for you that I still live because one, I can, I can assist in your progress, in your training, your discipleship. Secondly, my presence will result in your boasting of Christ. Now, this last sentence is very difficult to translate. Um, and scholars debate. I think what's going on here is, uh, and I highlight this there in your notes under verse 26, what we're dealing with is he's boasting and he's saying you will boast in Christ because what he has done, I have been released. I'm now with you. What a miracle. And so if God is pleased to grant it, then the ground of the Philippians rejoicing would be the apostle, not imprisoned in some distant cell, but with them again, ministering to their needs and and inspiring them as days have gone by. So he says that's what I'm rejoicing in. And, and the purpose for what I'm doing is, is so that you can boast in Christ and, and, and first and foremost that you're, you're growing in your faith. Why does God give you breath? <laughs> is it so that you can hone your uh, golf skills? So that you can make the most money you could possibly make? Take another vacation? Or is it so ultimately you might strengthen the saints and see Christ exalted, right? There's nothing wrong with vacations. There's nothing wrong with golfing, I don't think. Um, (laughs) um, That's not what I'm saying, right? What I'm saying, what is ultimately driving us, right? That's the point. Yeah, Kyle. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously Paul got that message and so did everyone else. 
Good point, because the albatross of guilt can shackle folks to where they can't serve. And uh, Paul understands. Um, listen, none of these guys were perfect. Peter wasn't perfect either. <laughs> he was type A as well. And yet uh, he understood grace and, and, and moved forward. The guilt can, yes, the guilt can drive you to, I, I think the recognition of forgiveness yes. will drive you to serve, and not so much the guilt, maybe. I don't know. I'm wrangling over words, what we're not supposed to do, so we'll move on. The intersect. Let me give you some, I think, some principles to walk away with, and they all focus on prayer. There's a lot we could address here, <laughs> couldn't we? Um, but let me give you three things to look at uh, in light of Paul's words here. Number one, our prayer should always be that we're... We're seeking to be obedient to the Lord's will. I mean, think about what you pray for. And I'm just as guilty of this. You know, we pray as a family at night. It's like, okay, Lord, help Aunt Betsy's toenail. Help, you know, you go through this whole litany of stuff. Rather than, Lord, may your name be exalted. Uh, and it's easy. You know, Carson uh, makes this comment in this, this book that he wrote on Paul's prayers. It is a wonderful comfort, a marvelous boost to faith to know that you're praying in line with the declared will of the Almighty God. And think about that. Paul says, this is awesome, because I know this. And, and how do you know that? That's someone walking with the Lord in the Word, right? He says, based upon what I know, this is exciting. And this I find joy in. And to be, and to be an instrument that God can use in this process, wow, right? That's what he's saying here. Ephesians 3 is a, a text that we, well, turn to Ephesians 3. Let's just look at this. Uh, that's the book right before <laughs> Philippians. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason I kneel before the Lord, I pray, Paul says, and to the church at Ephesus, from Every family in heaven on earth is named. I pray that according to the wealth of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. Sound familiar? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You will be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, depth, and height. What's that? That's the knowledge, insight. That's to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you will be filled to the fullness of God. Here it is, right? This knowledge is what's driving our holiness. And knowing who Christ is, all I can do is want to exalt him even more. And, 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 and Paul's saying here in Ephesians is, is what he's echoing here in Philippians to, to take part in what God is doing. Hey, this is awesome. Who am I? Yeah, I'd long to be with the Lord for all eternity. No more suffering, no more imprisonment. But right now, we get to be a part of God's work here on earth, and that excites me, all right? Uh, secondly, starting to preach. I'll move on. Let me give you another. We should pray and expect the Holy Spirit uh, to work mightily among His people. For those of us who are non-charismatic, I think sometimes the Holy Spirit's been stripped from the Trinity. Careful. The Spirit plays a key role in all of this. And, and Paul is highlighting this. Ivan Fitch, here's another great book. 
Uh, Warren Wiersbe, you know that name, right? Many of you know Warren Wiersbe. He's with the Lord now. Uh, says this is the best book on prayer he has ever read. He wrote the foreword to it. It's Principles and Practice of Prayer by Ivan French. Little book he, this man taught at Grace Seminary just up the road from us many, many years ago. But listen to what, what's that? He was your pastor? You have got to be kidding. Are you serious, Dave? Oh, that's awesome. 14 years. Wow, small world, right? That's awesome. Well, I should be having you share. Well, this is a great book, and I would agree. He says, too much of our praying is perfunctory, even lackadaisical. Yeah, it lacks real seriousness, genuine desire, and fervent longing. Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi is full of passion. Because, number one, he understands what God is doing. And secondly, he's, he's seeing the spirit work, right? And he knows. And so your own prayer life, take a, take a look at it. Does it resemble Paul's? And then third, here's one more to walk away with. Our prayer life needs to recognize that service to Christ is the goal in both, watch this, life and death. 1 Corinthians, turn there, just look at this. 1 Corinthians, this is to the church that's got more problems than you can shake a stick at, the church at Corinth, right? <laughs> Paul's going to take out a huge paddle and spank them as he writes this letter. It's so different than Philippians. But before he gets there, he breaks out in a little prayer. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I always thank my God for you because of the grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus. For you were made rich in every way, in all your speech and every kind of knowledge, though they're not living it out. Just as the testimony about Christ has been confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has strengthened you so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful whom he's called you to fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You get the idea? They're not living it. That's what he's going to get to, that he is Lord and you should live accordingly. But for Paul, our prayer life needs to recognize it's all about Christ. Carson asked this question. I about fell off my chair when I read it. It was very convicting. So I want to share it with you this morning. He says, Has God become so central to all our thoughts and pursuits and thus to our praying that we cannot easily imagine asking for anything without consciously longing that the answer bring glory to God? Right? When you pray, is that the focus? Or is it, here's my laundry list of medical issues that I need fixed, right? Uh, here's the, the things that we need. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Christ taught us that. He says, this is how you should be praying. And Paul models it here because it's driven by his mission statement for life. And that is living, it's Christ. And to die, woohoo, it's sheer gain, right? That's where we are. I wrote, well, I quote a Puritan minister down at the bottom of the notes from the 1600s, and it's as relevant then as it is today. To forsake Christ for the world is to leave a treasure for a trifle, 
eternity for a moment, reality for a shadow. Paul says, don't do it. Take joy in knowing our Lord as you live that out so that we can be holy before an almighty God. Right? Easy equation. Father, we, we thank you for your word and this challenge this morning. It's, it's a simple truth. You could teach it to elementary kids to live for Christ, to die is gain. But whew, the truth is so deep, an elephant could swim in this sucker. To, to know the full ramifications in, in our life and, and how we live it, how, how it oozes out in our prayers, how it oozes out in our interactions with others. Lord, help us to grow in our walk with you and in our knowledge of you so that we might be found blameless when we appear before you. Lord, our longing is, is for you to come and remove all this and allow for us to be united with those who've gone before us in your presence. But for now, that's not your plan. Your plan is for us to be here so that we can exalt your name on this globe. And so, Lord, help us to do that today. Thank you for these men. Go before them this week. Bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.